I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. If you are a discerning health enthusiast like myself and you want the best of the best, chances are that you've probably sat there and scratched your head at the health food store trying to figure out which CBD product to buy, right? I mean, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. They all make these claims. It does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone says they're the best. Who is actually the best? What actually works? Well, I found something recently that I'm super stoked about. It's called Onda. Now, Onda offers a patented, truly full-spectrum line of products and bulk oil, actually, that's not dependent on the use of alcohol, CO2, or other solvents for extraction. And their CBD is organically grown and produced in the USA. Now, here's the thing. When you take a plant that has medicinal qualities like the hemp or the cannabis plant, right, and you start stripping away all of the terpenes and all of the cofactors that make it really a holistic, natural medicine, you end up with something close to a pharmaceutical, right? Now, some pharmaceuticals are great um, in a pinch when everything else has failed. But when it comes to a natural product like CBD oil, you really want the full spectrum of the plant and you don't want a bunch of junk in there when they got the extraction done, right? In other words, when they get the medicine out of the plant, you don't want to be adding poisons to it. So that's why I'm super stoked on Onda. I've been using it for a couple months and I got to tell you, um, I don't have time to go into the benefits and there's legalities, but uh, this product has been amazing for sleep, anxiety, stress. I'm super into it. How you can get your hands on some is as follows. Go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A ondawellness.com and what's really exciting is that if you use the code luke15 you'll save 15% off that's onda wellness and the discount code is luke15 go get your cbd on this episode of the lifestylist podcast was recorded on location at quixmala in mexico our guest today is Elise Goldsmith Marcaccini, who's the owner of Quixmala and their amazing and beautiful sister property, Hacienda de San Antonio, also in Mexico. Both of these properties proclaim a continuous commitment to sustainability and the environment and also supporting the local wildlife as well as communities. And this is why I couldn't wait to get down there and do a report on it because I love supporting businesses that are doing things consciously. And Aleeks, alongside with their husband, certainly are. They protect and manage the 25,000-acre biosphere reserve, including biodynamic farms, the hospitality team, a bilingual school, and the Quixmala Ecological Foundation and its live-in biologists. It's an absolutely fascinating operation that they run there. And I got to sit firsthand for a week and check it all out. It's just absolutely incredible. So what you're going to learn in this episode is not only all about these properties and how they operate and the fascinating history of Alix and her family, but also starting out with the story of how Alix and I met upside down in a totaled car on the side of a country road in Costa Rica at the end of four ayahuasca ceremonies. So we met in a very sort of tragic yet auspicious way and we've become fast friends. So I'm really excited to tell that story and the story of Alix, her life and the life of these wonderful properties that I had the 
opportunity to visit. We're also going to talk about Sir James Goldsmith, her father, and his astounding ecological efforts uh, way early on in the scene and his confrontational relationship with the media. Then we're going to talk about transitioning from an organic to biodynamic farm scenario. And I got to visit the farms while I was there, interact with the animals, the plants, and talk to the farmers themselves. And it is a fascinating way to create food. And um, not only that, it's a fascinating way to eat food. The food there was so ridiculously good. And the biodynamic farming had a lot to do with it. So we take a deep dive into that whole process and why she decided to transition those properties and make them actually um, self-supporting as well. So between the two properties, the meat, the dairy, the coffee, all of that comes from Hacienda de San Antonio, the other sister property up in the mountains. And then all of the fruits, vegetables, et cetera, come from the lower altitude coastal property of Quixmala. So the whole operation is just fascinating. We go into that. And then uh, I explain what it was like to set free baby sea turtles while I was there and how their rescue program works and why it's so important to the local ecology. Then we talk about the craziest thing that Alix has ever seen on the property. And she's seen some wild shit straight up. So you're going to really enjoy her stories. We could have gone on forever. Like the history of this particular property and her fascinating life were just like endless. Um, It's actually hard to kind of keep it down to an hour because there were just so many interesting things to talk about. Uh, We get into Alix's three natural childbirths, two of which took place in the Quixmala property. And one of those um, birth children was actually in the car with us when we crashed in Costa Rica as well. So that's how that relationship started. Then we get into a psychological and spiritual perspective on farming and the cycle of life as it pertains to choosing whether or not you eat animals or plants or both. Alix's journey with plant medicine, or her many journeys, I should say, and the most outlandish request that Alix has ever gotten from her famous hotel guests over the years. And finally, why Alix is motivated to contribute and create a positive impact on the planet, even though she doesn't necessarily need to financially. And finding out what drives her and her commitment to these properties and all of the amazing things that they do there is a really great way to wrap up this interview. Before we get into that, let's talk about next week's show, which was also incidentally recorded abroad, this one in London. It's called Psychological Fitness, Mastering the Mind, Ego, and Emotions with Dr. Mark Atkinson. And I got to say, sitting down with Dr. Mark was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. I mean, it was deep. So I don't want you to miss that next week. Subscribe to the show so each and every episode of The Lifestylist is magically uploaded or downloaded, whichever it is, to your device or computer. If you want to see some of the action at Quixmala and Hacienda de San Antonio, you can follow me on Instagram. You can even see tons of videos that I took while I was there at the two properties if you go to my highlight reel called Travel. But you can also find tons of great photos in the feed uh, that are going to give you a really great feel for what it was like there. Because during the interview, we're alluding to so many different elements of these properties And it really leaves a lot to the imagination. So follow me on Instagram to get the behind the scenes look on the whole experience. And my Instagram is, of course, at Luke Story. And finally, don't forget to visit lukestory.com forward slash store, where you will find the best of the best when it comes to health and wellness products, supplements, biohacking technologies, etc. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. It's a great way to support your health, the show, as well as some of the coolest brands in the world that are really doing it right. 
Now let's take a trip into the inspiring and exhilarating world of Alix Goldsmith, Marcaccini, and Quixmala. Alix, welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Duke, and for being here in uh, Oh, man. You guys listening to the show, you know, I, I wish that I could have just... I don't know, had a film crew following us around today. We just had the most fantastic lunch on a a private beach and the property that we're on is just absolutely stunning in so many ways. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's been an incredible couple days here, but before we get into current time reality, I want to go back to our meeting because I think it was so uh, fortuitous in many ways. So um, Alix and I were both at a retreat center called Rhythmia, which I did, um, what do you call it? A trilogy podcast called Welcome to the Jungle, my ayahuasca experience. And um, we met there. And I think we met in passing a couple of times during the ceremonies and maybe said, hi, how are you? What's your name? Kind of thing. We didn't really have time to get to know one another. But on the um, fifth day, which was after four nights of ceremony, Alix and I were in a car with a local kid that was also a participant like us, but who lived at this town in Costa Rica and he offered to take us to the beach. And, um, we got about 200 yards out of the, <laughs> out of one the, straight line, yeah, one curve. Literally like, I mean, you could have thrown a stone to how far we got down the road and homeboy just like, God bless him. If he ever hears this, you know, all is forgiven, but he basically just like stopped looking at the road and just like drove off the side of the road and the car flipped over and, um, was totaled. Yeah, and the car was totaled. And Alix, out of the five of us, six. there were six of us in the car, as well as her daughter, she was the most injured. <laughs> and we're laughing about it now, of course, because it was a few months ago and, and all is well, presumably. But what I thought was so interesting about that experience, Alix, and I'd, I'd like to just kind of go back there and, and give us your recount of it, because I thought it was astonishing that you were perhaps the most calm person out of everyone. Everyone's kind of crying and freaking out and shocked. And you're sitting there with a bloody foot and a creek neck, just kind of like, ah, just another day in Costa Rica. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was probably shocked to tell you the truth. Yeah, maybe that was it, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And I had nausea there. You did? Yeah. That's why they took me to the hospital. Because I I remember, I don't know, I... (laughs) Not to play the hero here, but I think I helped you get something you to, put, great. to put you your great. foot on. You Absolutely. know, I mean, just being the guy, you know, you try and provide <laughs> and you just seem so happy and calm. I thought, oh, she must be all right. <laughs> it was still the after effects of the medicine. <laughs> do you think that was, do you think that contributed to your calmness? Probably. probably. <laughs> what do you remember about that moment? Because I told the story on that past podcast and people may have heard that if they've heard that episode. So what's your version of we're, we're driving out of the property, then what happens? Everything's beautiful. I'm going saying to myself, wow, we're going to the beach. We've survived these four nights. I wasn't bashed too much. All good. And then I'm looking out of the window going, oh my God, am I going to spot a howler monkey? We are in Costa Rica. It is a white region. <laughs> And then before I know it, I hear you screaming, break, and then the car just tumbling. So I really wasn't expecting it and uh, was okay. You guys all slipped out of the windows, you thin little beings, and I was the last one stuck in the car. 
<laughs> and of course, in my mind, I probably watched too many movies. I was going, my God, the car's going to explode. What's going to happen now? And I can't get out of like a beach well in the middle of all this broken glass. <laughs> and then the two guys came by on the motorcycle and they're like, oh my God, we got to get them out. And then they, the, but they couldn't open the door because it was down. So the, the road was blocking the entrance of the door. And so anyhow, one, they're two really skinny guys. One's pushing the car. The other one's trying to open the door. <laughs> I could tell you, I love those two. And uh, yeah, so that was it really. And it's just good to know everyone else was out and we we're all okay. And I guess the mum came out of me too, probably, because I was the right. oldest. And, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I bet that was part of it too. Yeah. You had that matronly, like, is everyone, <laughs> is everyone okay? Meanwhile, your foot's gushing mm. blood. <laughs> I think you were the only one actually bleeding, if I recall. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, Unfortunately for you, they offered to take me to the, I went to see the medic and they said, well, do you need to go to the hospital? I said, how far away is it? And they said, oh, two hours. I'm like, I think I'm good. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to go sit in the back of a truck, you know, and drive through the jungle. But you, in fact, went to the, both of you went to the hospital. And And I was in that horrible straight metal thing with a thing for your neck, the big thing for your neck. Oh, God. And so I'm lowered down, and every time a car's coming to break behind us, I feel like he's going to come and break into the car. So I'm like hyperventilating oh, for the God. two hours to the, to the hospital. And but. after that, did you, from what I understand, you sustained some injury? You had a bit of a hard time after that for a yeah, while, for too. Yeah, two, three months was a bit rough, but it's all good yeah. now. You, are you recovered from that? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay now. Psychologically, you seem recovered because we were yeah. just in your truck and you were driving like a bat out of hell through the. <laughs> The jungle here. <laughs> you seem quite fine with automotive travel. <laughs> I do know the road by heart, but yeah. Well, you know, you know what's funny is is after I've flipped a couple. I've been in a few accidents, um, not for a long time, but after that, you know, I have to say, even though I wasn't terribly bothered by that, I think maybe I was still kind of reeling from the ayahuasca ceremonies and thought, you know what, I've already died for four nights. What's a fifth day going to do? <laughs> but. Uh, I was a little skittish going around corners and stuff. I, I still sometimes, I'm oh, like, ah, slow down, slow down, uh, yeah, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's what happened. He went around a corner and then, you know, yeah. when the road turned, our, our lovely driver did not turn. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so, it's kind of a key element to driving, right? When the road turns, that means you do something with the steering wheel. But anyway, I was a little sketched out after that, um, just in terms of like curvy roads. Yeah, and, me too. For the first whatnot. month and a half, I was really scared in cars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, to, to carry on with the story here, guy, I sometimes forget there's people listening. I'm supposed to get to some kind of point. But um, then when we got to know one another a little bit, I think after that, when you had come back and then we were on the same plane right on the way back and et cetera, and um, talking to you and your daughter, you had mentioned to me, you said, oh, you seem like a nice chap. You know, I have this little hotel in Mexico. You know, you should come down sometime. And, and I really remember thinking, oh, that's sweet. She probably has some you know, little thatched huts on the beach, you know, somewhere, you know, I thought it was probably just some, I don't know why in my mind I pictured some really modest little, you know, tiny little family run hotel. And I thought it's really sweet of her. You know, I thought, that's nice. Maybe, maybe I will. I'll look her up someday and go down there. And then you said you you, you lived in Ojai, uh, which is a place I like to go. And and now my girlfriend uh, fortunately lives there. So I spent some time. Anyway, lo and behold, we run into you in Ojai one day. And I don't even think I knew your last name at that point, but somehow I figured out what your hotel was down here, Quishmala. I look it up and I'm like, wow, this is one of the eighth wonders of the world. Like this place is freaking insane. And now here we are, you know, so it just goes to show you just, you just never know. There are those type <laughs> of people that kind of overstate their, 
stature or position in the world. And then there are some people I think that are perhaps a little more accustomed to it and it becomes quite understated as was the case with you. Thank you. <laughs> so here we end up at this fantastic property where I've spent the past couple of days eating not just organic biodynamic food from the farm here, which I visited today and going to yoga classes with Michaela here sitting in the room silently as our third silent partner guest. And uh, it's just an incredible operation here, uh, ecologically speaking, in terms of what's going on with the community here at this part in Mexico. And so there's just so many things I want to talk about and bring people into. Uh, But starting at the beginning, so Quishmala, which means the soul's resting place, was originally a private home built by and for your father, Sir James Goldsmith. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, the, the origins of your dad, what he was all about, what he was known for, uh, how he ended up acquiring this property and, you know, perhaps kind of a bit of the history there. Uh, my father was probably one of the most incredible businessmen from the nineties, eighties, nineties in Europe. And he also came to America and, uh, he was one of the takeover guys, um, But before that, he'd been in many different industries. He'd been a banker. He'd been in the food industry. He'd been in the pharmaceutical companies. And uh, and so at one point, after being in all these businesses and seeing the negative effects on the planet, and thanks to his brother, who was a great ecologist, he started gearing his life and his energy towards ecology. That's so rare. So that's how we got here, basically, because he wanted a place which was close to America, but which had clean air, clean food, clean soil. And, uh, and so he got everything tested here before we bought the land. And oh, then, he did? Yes. And, wow. Uh, yes, yes, To yes. make sure that they hadn't a nuclear testing over the hill or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You never know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. So he's this business mogul. When you were, when you were growing up, what was your, what was your life? like? Were you, you know, living this international jet setting sort of life as a kid? Did you live in a, in a bubble that was unlike other kids? Not at all, actually, because he started off dead broke. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So when just until I was born, he was actually playing backgammon and running, you know, to make money, to be able to make ends meet and on all his crazy projects. And he went broke 20 times before making it. And then it's from when I was born that, it, you know, he started becoming more and more successful and what he was doing and all his projects. Oh, that's so interesting. I yeah. find it fascinating that many of the world's historically most prolific and successful entrepreneurs share the experience of, quote, end quotes, failing a number of times before they make it. <laughs> I've only tried two things so far at 48, and I think they've, they're both kind of working. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, have... Well, you're lucky. I don't have 30,000. Yeah, I don't have 30,000 acres of prime real estate in, in uh, Mexico. But, I, you know, I always try to remind myself of that when I get afraid of failing at something that so many of the people, you know, at least in terms of worldly success and success in business, they just they just keep trying and trying and trying, and even if they get knocked down. everything. He did? Every time he put every home, every everything he owned went into every business deal. Really? He was a real gambler and he was a gambler. He had, he had clubs and... In England. Oh, he did. With John Aspinall, yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so so he started to amass his wealth and, and build his portfolio and business as you started to grow up. So 
So it was very exciting. It was really thrilling. I mean, you know, we went from the little apartment to a nicer apartment to a beautiful house. And it was very exciting to be part of it. And at every meal here, every, you know, all the projects he had and his likes and dislikes for people. I mean, he was very, very passionate. So it was always very interesting. And he'd always read, for example, five books on the same subject at the same time. Really? So he would really, you know, historically, you know, so it was, it was fantastic. It was like having a class, you know, and when a fun you, one during a meal. When you were a kid, when did you become aware of his affinity and interest in ecology and environmental issues and finding well, a clean place to live, et cetera? Funny enough, it was always something in our conversations because of my uncle. He started the magazine, The Ecologist, in the 60s. Oh, no way. Yeah, and it's all over the world That's now. That's his brother? Yeah, Teddy oh, interesting. And so they always used to argue a lot at the beginning. Of course, my uncle was very, very green from day one. And and then I think it's really in the 80s that he really became conscientious. But having said that, he used to back red groups in Europe because they were the only ones who were, who were ecologists at the time. Oh, that's but interesting. But that was always kept under the cover. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I found that in papers and stuff. Oh, yeah. no kidding. Yeah. Interesting. Red groups mean like communist yeah. groups? Yeah, just because they were the only ones who were interested in ecology. Right. Just wow. those projects. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. on the other side politically. <laughs> Not overthrowing the governments of the Western world. No. Yeah, that, well, that's a plus. Well, I'm sure he'd have to do that today, but anyhow. <laughs> so one thing about your pop too is that he was quite infamous for his adversarial relationship with the press. What was it about the press that, that he hated so much and why were they hard on him I mean, which i'm assuming they were i think he... because the press you always thought they were leftist and he wasn't mm -hmm. and also because you just didn't trust them you know you're gonna have you'd give one interview and then something else would be printed and and he had a huge eagle action with private eye this english magazine in the 80s which i can't remember all the details but it went really spiraled <laughs> and he also was um, somewhat famous for having quite a few wives and mistresses and, you know, living a pretty, um, the life of a playboy, as it were, no? Well, yes and no, because he was an incredible family man. I mean, he liked women, that's for sure. Yeah. But as a father, um, I think he was actually really as present as he could be, considering how busy he was. I mean, he was pretty incredible in that sense with all the children. Yeah. And I don't think he ever treated any of the wives differently had he divorced or not. I mean, he was incredible that way. So would you say he just kind of danced to his own tune in terms of social norms? Yes. Whereas like from the outside, yes. the press or someone might say, oh, this guy's a bad man. He's yeah, had three yeah. wives, but yeah. you know, the mistress lives in the guest house. What the hell is this? <laughs> but well, actually they're all living very happy. Well, that's what and I they're there because they want to be. No one was twisting their arm. Right, that's what I hear. And one day, and a uh, journalist asked him, what does it take to be able to keep three women and three families? And he answered, a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at what point then um, did he acquire this property? And what was in it 87. like? In 87. In 87. And yeah. so how old would, would you have been at that time? How old was I? Uh, I was 23. Oh, okay. So you're already grown by that time. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember the first time coming here? What did I you... was the first one to come here. Really? Yeah. And did you think your dad, you know... I was blown had... away. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to... So you were here. excited. You weren't like, oh, my, my dad's got off the deep end here. He's trying to start a nature preserve in Mexico. No, no, I was super excited. Are you kidding? 
<laughs> and what yeah. was it like when you came to the property? I mean, was it just um, it was just me and a gentleman land? who was buying land for him? And uh, well, we haven't found it yet until we arrived here. And uh, there was less farming than the. I mean, the, the but coconut trees were all there, but not all the plantations underneath. If you see what I mean, like yeah. today you drove by, you saw orange trees, lemons, citrus, grapefruits, all the different types. The, in those days, it wasn't as much. I think we exploited the, the land in a nice way, <laughs> yeah. uh, much more than, be, than it had been before. And then first, when my father was alive, um, all the vegetable gardens were organic, and then we pushed them to biodynamic probably seven, eight years ago. We went to Kodima, to the university, and followed some courses with this genius German uh, biodynamic professor called Ferdinand von Druska. I hope he's listening. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Is and, he like uh, the Mac daddy of biodynamic farming? Yeah, he's one of them anyhow. Is he? Yes. And uh, really interesting, very, very funny man. And, uh, and so he came down here and brought some people and then we started the whole so project. So when your dad was here and he started growing organically, I mean, this, is, this would have been in the late 80s to yeah. early 90s then. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that was a pretty fringe idea at He'd that time. He'd been in the food business, remember? Right. So, And he was ill also, so he knew that you needed clean food to be healthy. Uh, what, 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 uh, what, what ailed him? Uh, pancreatic cancer. Really? Yeah. By the time he had this property? Uh, he-, he was already ill, but yeah. Ah, interesting. And so he had been, like you were saying, he had been, uh, you know, in business in these other industries, the food industry being one of them. And he's I think you mentioned to me earlier, he was selling diet biscuits and things like that. Yeah. So he might, he figured out at some point, like, wow, I'm selling shite to people here and now I am sick. So I'm going to go and find a way to produce food that heals rather than harms. Would you say that was kind of part of um, the mission? Well, the, the food business was such a long time ago, though. It was like oh. literally in the 70s. Okay. So I don't know, maybe in his mind, I don't know about that side, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, he really knew he needed clean food to be able to survive his illness, that's for sure. And he survived a long time. Mm. It was a miracle case. Wow. Because he lived until 97? Seven, yeah. yeah. And usually you have six months. Right. That's one of the worst ones, is it not? Yeah. At least for men? Yeah. And so, <laughs> interesting history with this property. You know, your dad was had guests like Richard Nixon, uh, Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan. I mean, these guys, you know, which I know <laughs> you're kind of wincing. She's wincing here, guys. We're not doing, <laughs> we're not doing video on this, but those are things that, you know, the, it's yeah. like the press would say, wow, this, you know, this guy was a really big deal. But from what you, you've told me, he really kind of danced to his own tune. And although he, he hobnob with some of these big power players that he was not necessarily on the same page. He was page. definitely a free spirit and no right. one was going to pin him down. Right. That's for sure. Right. But he liked the information. He liked the conversation. So what kind of what kind of meetings of the minds would take place here then with these historical figures and your dad? Was it a, a bit of a think tank where he would bring these great minds and leaders had, of different industry and, and he movements here? He had think here? tanks. He even had one which was, the whole, was based on... Uh, Violence in the intercities of Latin America, very fitting. And I remember he did that at the Hacienda for a whole group of different people, professors, business people, and, and they all met in Eugenius and they all had a think tank up there. And I think with them, no, it was more talking one-on-one. 
Apparently Nixon was very uncomfortable around women, so we were never allowed to be around. <laughs> really? Yes. That's interesting. So you don't remember? No, and also I think Daddy didn't want any of the small, boring talk. He just wanted to get to the nitty gritty. Right, right. Was he like kind of a no-nonsense guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who, who? Which one? Your dad. Yeah, but fun. Very fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so what What kind of, um, you know, I just find, I find the historical aspect of your dad so interesting, you know, that he, didn't he have a, like a, his own 747 that he had outfitted, you know, custom outfitted. Yes, uh, it was pretty incredible. Were you on that when you were a kid? I was on that. No, not when I was a kid, later on. Late, oh yeah, because you were okay later yeah, yeah, on when you were in your 20s. When I was in my 30s. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about the development of the property here. And for those of you listening, you're, you're going to have to go to the blog post here because I'm going to post a bunch of pictures from my trip. And, you know, when I say that this is just an otherworldly property, um, it's, it's not overstating it at all. It's just absolutely incredible architecture and the lay of the land here is just absolutely insane. So how did the, the actual buildings come to be here in the beginning? Some of the buildings already existed, but he built, he really knew what he wanted. He was incredibly hands-on. He'd be there with the chalk with the guys. I mean, he was always choosing the paint colors. I mean, he was there everywhere. And um, he worked with Robert Couturier, who was only 23 at the time, which was pretty amazing, a young architect. And they drew Casa Quixmala, the house he was staying in, and Casa La Playa, and another two of the houses and the stables, which were pretty beautiful. The house I'm staying in uh, feels, you know, there was some there were some storms here yeah. in the past couple of days, and you know, not I mean, not hurricanes by any stretch, but you could see how a hurricane could quickly develop here. Yeah, I feel like the house I'm staying in has walls four feet thick. What's it made of? <laughs> Huge stones. Right, it's like a medieval building, Nettie. <laughs> so behind, so is there stone Inside, within the concrete? Yes. Is there steel like rebar? Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of huge stones on stones on. So I don't know what goes exactly in the middle, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I can tell you there's a thick. It's a very substantial yeah. feeling building. Uh, so much so, um, to my great surprise, no cell service comes in through the walls. <laughs> you can see a cell tower kind of off in the distance. I'm so paranoid of them. I'm, I'm, cause I, well, everyone knows the story that listens to my podcast. It's probably getting old, but uh, I found out I was living next to a couple and it, t- it made me really sick. So whenever I go anywhere, I'm like, oh God, where's the cell tower? And I saw one. I was like, shit, it doesn't even matter. These walls are so thick there. It's like a Faraday cage being in this. I don't even want to call it a hotel. I just call it a property. It doesn't, it feels like, um, it is a property. It feels very homey here. That's the thing. It does like, there's nothing here that says hotel. I feel like I'm like in your family house, basically a gigantic one, but yeah, you know, um, very friendly staff and just amazing buildings. Um, so I was curious just about the architecture element because it's not only beautiful, but it just feels so sound. Every building you're in is just like, God, you feel so safe and secure from the elements. Uh, what about the aspect here of protecting this land? That's kind of the thing I wanted to get into next. And I definitely want to talk a, a bit deeper about the, you know, the difference between organic and biodynamic and the things going at the farm, which I saw today, which was absolutely insane. So what's the Quishmala Ecological Foundation and how did, how did the protecting the land kind of come in once God, you took even, over? That even came along before my father bought it. He did, was it really? already working on that, yes, on protecting and on doing the foundation. And um, well, as you know, we, there's still jaguar, puma, ocelots, 270 species of birds, uh, white-tailed deer, wild boar. I mean, there's just so, you know, 2,000 different amphibians and 
I mean, it really is a paradise for animal lovers. And uh, so the idea was to protect more and more land for them because a jaguar needs 22 square meter just for one male. Wow. So it's very important. The more land you have, the more you can protect. Right. I mean, obviously compared to foundations in Argentina, we're tiny or in Africa, but Mexico, but for Mexico, it's quite big. Is there a lot of land in Mexico that's that's preserved in that way? There, There's only another. We were the first independent government, independent foundation in Mexico. So I think there's two or three others now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Has it been difficult at times to, you know, maintain that status and to really protect the land? No, thank God we we had a really good status, and and now I think it's it's all been it's all been quite. Smooth. And what is uh did am I is does this have something to do with UNESCO? Yes, the MAB MAP the MAB UNESCO absolutely. Ah, okay, and so they're involved in also overseeing the. Well, let's see if we have an issue. I know they'd protect us. I basically. see. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's kind of like Big Brother that's waiting there in a good sense. Yes. <laughs> Big Brother that's there in and case. And they protect the mangroves. You know, they protect water. Oh, cool, water. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So last night uh, we went and did something fascinating. Uh, we released some baby sea turtles. And so I was talking to the, you know, the guys that work here and stuff like that. And I, I saw a night watchman out on the beach, you know, because we could see the beach from the lovely room and, you see these guys with flashlights out there and I thought, oh God, maybe those are poachers. And then the next day, like, no, that's us looking out for poachers and making sure that, you know, that the, the sea turtle eggs get where they're supposed to go. So we, we released these little baby turtles. They're like the size of, I don't know, a pack of cigarettes, baby. And, um, cause I see one across the room and that's about the same size. So we're, we're turning these baby turtles loose. And the guy that's working there at the turtle sanctuary says, yeah, they're going to come back to the same spot in 12 years at about 30 pounds and lay their eggs right on this very beach. Tell me more about that. That's why it's so important to protect every single beach because there's different animals, different turtles who come to, you know, nothing, no, no piece of nature is unimportant if you see what I mean. Right. Yeah. And how did the turtle piece come to be here? The turtles were always here. And and then when we realized they were coming to lay eggs here, we decided we had to protect them because the men were eating them. Uh, they were stealing them to make creams, which they used to sell everywhere. Uh, all the animals or predators were eating them. And then poor things that were being smashed by these massive waves. So there's probably about, you know, five turtles which survive on out of a hundred, you know, or 200. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating that they're going to come back to the same beach? Yeah. When I found that out, I just thought, this is, I think even the most ardent atheist would have to admit there's some divine order to things. Like how in the hell is that even possible? It's so fascinating. They have a great compass on them. Can you believe? Yeah, it's like they're just little, they're like prehistoric GPS. Yeah. And then we've got the um, the crocodiles in the lagoons. There's all these lagoons. When I first saw one, when we drove in, I thought, oh, I'm going to dive in that water. My girlfriend's like, I already know what you're thinking. <laughs> Don't think about there's it. probably crocodiles. And sure enough, <laughs> 10 feet later, there's like a massive 10-foot crocodile sitting there waiting for me, my hippie ass, to jump in the water. So They're faster than a horse on 50 meters. What? And you have to zigzag because they can't, they can only see straight. What? Wait, wait, wait. Back up. They're faster than a horse on yeah. a 50-meter sprint? Yeah. When they get up, suddenly, you know, they're like this on yeah, the ground. Yeah. And when they get up, their arms are very, very long. So, Whoa. <laughs> 
And weren't you telling me that this, I mean, it's sad to bring up, but that you had lost a couple of dogs. Yes. As a result. Little peanuts. Oh, man. Little aperitivos for the crocodiles. And and how did you learn of that? Is it an assumption or were you around? No, no, when we it know, we know, we know, we know. And they and so many neighbors who mm. lost their dogs to crocodiles. That's just one of the things. Just one of the things. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen here in terms of um, the wildlife? wildlife? Yeah. Oh, my God. I remember I was driving to the stables one day and I saw this huge wild boar, but massive. I've never seen a bigger one as big since. Jumped over one side of the lagoon, was about to hit the other side. It was halfway through air. And sunny out of nowhere, this huge crocodile just came. Opened his mouth, grabbed him, pulled him down. It was incredible. I feel like I was in Africa. You know what I mean? It was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Wild. was pretty awesome. What else? <laughs> Haven't you seen some of the big oh, cats and stuff? Oh, the big cats. I've seen the big cats roam around the garden. I mean, yeah, incredible. The puma. Um, two um, jaguars as I was walking around one day with my dogs. But then he ran away. And then the, that evening, I think it was the same one because it was kind of in the same area. I saw him when I was driving and I put my foot on the accelerator to try and catch up with him. But he was out of there. But it was so exciting to see it. I like, can imagine. Right next to you. And he's like, you know, as you're going faster, he's right next to you. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was And really I love cool. the wildlife cams. You have those nighttime hidden, you know, unobtrusive you know, for those environmentalists listening, they're like, yes. don't put cameras in the woods, but you can do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the environment. But you were showing me some photos today of the the, the motion sensor cameras that yeah. catch wildlife. And you're like, well, I was just walking there. <laughs> There's a freaking mountain lion was there last night, you know? It's I, terrifying and exciting at the same time. It's exciting. I think it's a blessing when you see one of those animals. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. One of the coolest things about my job as the host of the Lifestylist podcast is always being on the cutting edge and not only finding out the best products when it comes to health, but the best companies that are making those products. Now, I'm someone that's been into bee products for a really long time. And if you heard episode 175 with Carly Stein, you got to hear me totally geek out on my obsession with bees and bee products. If you haven't heard that one, by the way, go back and check it out. That's 175. But what I didn't know about bee products is A, how many different products bees actually make in a hive, what their different uses are in terms of health support, and also that there are just a lot of companies that are making products that are very inferior. Either they're weak or they're not tested for pesticides and things like that. So the whole like bee product game... I thought I was pretty on top of and I got schooled in that episode and now I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself and I'm using all of the products from Beekeepers Naturals. So they've got a few that I'm really into. There's the propolis, which is kind of like the medicine of the hive. Then you've got, of course, the bee pollen, which is the food. That's the protein. It's actually the highest protein food on the planet and it's also got free-forming amino acids. So it's great for pre-workout, for muscle recovery. And then, of course, the raw honey, which is amazing. And I thought I knew something about honey. It's got live enzymes. You know, if you take a little bit before you go to bed, it helps you sleep. There's some things like that. But it turns out honey is a legit superfood if you get it from the right company. It's full of antioxidants and it's just insanely powerful. Then you've got royal jelly. Now, royal jelly is the chronic stuff. That's the food that's exclusively made for the queen bee. 
So the queen bee lives about 40 times longer than the average worker bee. So put the math together there and you'll know that royal jelly is some badass stuff. And if you want to try all of these products that the bees make in one, I'm going to recommend Bee Powered by Beekeepers Naturals. That's one of my favorites. Now, honestly, I go through it a little too fast. It comes in a jar and I just like pound that stuff. I probably weigh OD on it. You don't need to do it like I do it. You can savor it and make it last. It's an amazing product and a really great way for you to get an introduction into all of the bee products in one jar. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. That's beekeepersnaturals.com and the code is LIFESTYLIST. If you're someone that wants to be healthy, chances are the reason you want to be healthy if you really drill down is because you want to be happy. Well, you know what makes you happy? is getting melatonin in your veins at night. It's getting serotonin and dopamine in your brain during the day. Do you know what makes those neurotransmitters and hormones happen? It's light. And if you are exposed to artificial blue and green light after dark and even during the day, you're suppressing your ability to produce these within your body. I don't want to get too geeky and scientific because I would stumble over my words and you might not even understand what I'm talking about. But after over three years of interviewing experts, a couple hundred of them now, uh, one of the underlying causes of all disorders and disease is artificial light at night. And if you just think about it from a common sense, nature-based point of view, we have not evolved to see this very narrow spectrum of blue light that exists in your LED lighting on your computer and probably inside your house and headlights and uh, streetlights as you drive around at night. And anytime you go to the movies or a club or watch TV, anywhere you go at night, you're seeing a spectrum of light that doesn't exist in nature and that we haven't evolved to see. We've evolved to only see firelight and starlight and some moonlight at night. And so we've completely hijacked our bodies. We've become domesticated. And this is really, really harmful. Now, it's easy to fix. You can still live your life. Live your life. Go out, go clubbing, have a ball. But you just have to wear your Blue Blocks glasses. So go to blueblocks.com. That's spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. And get yourself some of these dope glasses. They have a few different frame styles. They do prescriptions. They do reading glasses. And they do non-prescription glasses that block the different spectrums of harmful blue and green light. So go to blueblocks.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15%. That's LIFESTYLIST at blueblocks.com. And now back to the interview. So you started to spend some time here later in life and you've got four kids now. Yep. You've got four pretty much grown kids, Two right? Two born in the house. In this house where we are now? Yeah. And did you, did I read right that you had your kids in a bathtub? Yeah. You had like natural childbirth? Yeah. What inspired you to do that? And what was that like? I watched, I read a beautiful book called, uh, what's it called? By Michel Audin, who's the biggest specialist on, on water births. Really? And the book is called The Scientification of Love. And it's the most beautiful book. And basically it explains to us that we should all be alone, crouching in the dark with two candles and no one around you and everything goes well. And the more you have man coming in and and um, <clears throat> meddling, but fiddling around the mother and the birth thing, and that's when the problems arise. You just have to be very concentrated. And and, and were all four of your kids born uh, natural childbirth? Three. Three. One's a Cedars baby, my eldest guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I live right down the street from Cedars. Yeah, she's a Cedars baby. Been there a few baby. times myself. <laughs> so 
this is a topic that I've not covered in great depth on the show, natural childbirth, but it's something that really appeals to me. So is that person you just mentioned, this Michelle person oh, still alive? He must be quite old now. But, it's a he? Uh, it's a he. Ah, okay. Oh, French Michel. French right, Michel, okay. though. Beautiful book. You should get a copy. I mean, I yeah. recommend that book to any woman who's pregnant. Well, I've always looked at thing, things, I think, in a what I think is a normal way, but is a bit skewed. So you take something like, we have a special distinction for organic food, right? To me, that's like, that's conventional food food that's sprayed with poison should be called something else, not conventional. <laughs> there should not need to be something called organic, right? So Incredible. it's just the way my head thinks. But when I, when I drive by, you know, all these hospitals, like in the middle of LA, you've got a hospital every three blocks, you know, and I just think, God, that's just a big, it's a big AT, reverse ATM machine that's just <laughs> there just siphoning cash out of people's <laughs> pockets. And why? Because we've domesticated, domesticated ourselves and become, become so disconnected from nature starting from birth in most cases that we're locked into this kind of human zoology system and now we're all so sick we just were at the hospital all the time so it's like almost you begin your life in a hospital you live in self-imposed cages that we call homes and offices and buildings etc and then at the end of your life you go back to where the you came from awful. isn't it weird though? yeah it's awful to me i just look at that and i'm like there's something fucking wrong with this yeah i'm always quite happy when i hear that someone died at home right you know? Right. So isn't, did you sense that it was sort of, or was it just the book or did you sense that it was sort of strange that we've, you know, medicalized, we treat a pregnant woman as someone who's sick in a sense, right? Because it's like, oh, you have this illness called pregnancy and we're going to go treat that illness at a hospital. And take the child away from you at birth. I mean, what are they thinking? Yeah, no, no, no. We, um, that was also not part of my father's way of life. If all well, his wife could have had children at home, he would have been much happier. We never had vaccines. We never had any of those really? children. No. Wow. Interesting. We weren't allowed to have x-rays. Oh, shit. Your dad was woke. <laughs> yeah, he was. Oh, my God. That's like, especially back in the day. Now people are becoming more aware of yeah. some of these things, you yeah. know? So have your children adopted this natural way of living here and do they like coming here have they gone through the stages where they're rebelling and like i'm gonna drink diet coke and eat mcdonald's oh, of course they have yeah <laughs> my son to my horror like three years ago i went into the school because it was a day against monsanto so i barged into the school and i'm like please please let's all look at monsanto and uh, i want us you all to paint a poster of what you think of monsanto and this was from five-year-olds up to 14-year-olds and then the next day, we all went up to march against Monsanto on the 25th of May in Kodima, which is the local town near where we live. And, uh, and uh, so it was quite funny to see all these foreigners demonstrating, you know, sin maíz no hay país. Without corn, there's no country. Uh, and of course, they didn't want it to be GMO. So anyhow, it was all these people from the university. It was really, it was fun and wonderful to be there. I mean, I'm always happy to be part of that. Well, I'm glad you are too. And how do the locals here view this place? Do they are they on board with it? Have you you had anyone that doesn't understand what you're doing here in this natural way of living and promoting ecotourism and all of the positive things that are happening here? I mean, most people who are joining the team who have joined since the last three, four years, you already get it. And before it was just a bit of tweaking and explaining and Right. Yeah. At the beginning, it was quite complicated because all the farmers would grow all the bananas in blue plastic bags. 
like they do all over the world. And they're, what, yeah, how do they, is, aren't they fumigated or something? It's weird? disgusting. They're fumigated. They put the blue plastic bag so they don't have any stains, any marks. There's no, there's no animals inside. Anyhow, they die with a pesticide. And that's what we get in Europe once they open the blue plastic bag and it goes to the supermarket. That's basically what you're eating. Uh, it's awful. Is that true for organic bananas as well? No, not for organic. Oh, okay. But for conventional. Yeah. Again, conventional. For all <laughs> conventional fruits. Right. I mean, try a mango or papaya in Europe. It has a taste of plastic. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, very. I've noticed um, the fruits that I've eaten here. I mean, I don't want to, I'm excited because I'm here and I'm caught up in the moment, but I want to say they're almost twice as flavorful as like even organic, you know, an organic mango that you get imported from Mexico or wherever they're from in LA at Whole Foods or something. It's just a completely different energetic imprint. And of course, it's probably picked three days ago when you're and eating it And the soil here. is really clean. I mean, it's over 30 years and they say it take, takes 10 years, five years to clear out pesticides, but that's not true. Right, and that's it takes just, at least 10 years. That's at just least. for the organic certification, right? To get yeah. on paper that you can get that. But I've never gone for that either. Yeah. Because these pesticides are are not biodegradable. No. Right? No. So 30 years here, there's not been any funny business in this no. soil. No. And what do you, you know, I know that you've got a lot going on here. So knowing the exact nuances of biodynamic farming might not be your level of expertise. But when we went to the farm today, I was so excited because I've only seen this stuff on documentaries where they make the preparations with the ox horn and all this. Did he show it to yeah, you? Yeah, the whole oh, thing. Amazing, this crazy, amazing. this voodoo, you know, and those of you listening. I look at it as white magic. That's why I love biodynamic. It's white magic. So tell us, for those listening that have never even heard that word, give us whatever you can about kind of the difference between standard organic, which I don't even think is that healthy personally because you're still allowed to use all these weird fertilizers and NPK and all this shit. But give us what you know about the differences between biodynamic and, and how the process works. Well, biodynamic, you really use all the calendar. You use the moon, the sun. Uh, it's the most nature-based uh, farming, really. And, uh, and I think it wasn't Rudolf Steiner even who invented it. He probably went around and asked all the old farmers because basically they base... If you want to do one preparation, for example, the one with the horns, that was like the pesticide. I mean, the natural pesticide. And so they'll make it with all the barks of trees, which will come out during the full moon. Then in the third week, depending on the sun, they'll go and take a herb to mix it up. I mean, it's all, it's all very scientific, actually. I mean, they mustn't put the wrong herb in at the wrong time, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, that's what's really different with biodynamic and just organic. And it, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the health of the soil, too. Oh, yeah, it's very important. The health of the soil. And again, the moon's really important for the soil when they're planting. And the seeds also, they have to be clean. Oh, right. You've got to have heirloom seeds to start with. Yeah. Otherwise, they've been adulterated. And no matter how you grow them, you're still getting like the yeah. raw materials are still whack and diluted. Yeah. If not mutated. In and I don't know cases. if you saw at the vegetable garden because we pushed it. Now we're doing wormology with our biodynamic is that we have all these rabbits. And thanks to these beautiful rabbits in these beautiful bamboo cages who have fed these amazing <laughs> biodynamic plants and herbs all day. And they, when they poop, it goes down to feed the worms. And so the worms are double the sizes of any worms I've seen anywhere. And uh, the soil is incredibly... Um, 
Fertile. Fertile. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping that was the word. word. I'm like, I think that was the one floating in the ethers here. <laughs> yeah, I thought the biodynamic bunnies were fascinating because at first when we walked up to the farm, I was like, oh, poor bunnies. They're probably going to be dinner tonight. No, no, no. And I, and I asked them, they're like, no, 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 no. We don't touch those bunnies. No, no, no. And they didn't look very meaty, to be honest. They're kind of scrawny and tall variety. They're you know? beautiful. Well, they're yeah, they're, yeah, they have like really long legs. They're thin. They're very agile. And so, yeah, I saw this whole process of them making their little droppings. They fall through the cracks of this thing into the compost. A very fascinating whole thing. And um, and the uh, gentleman down there who... What's Lalo. The, Lalo. Yeah, Lalo. You guys, I did do some video on Lalo that will be in the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. We did some sort of... Michaela here translated some of his, you know, dropping wisdom on the biodynamics. He's obsessed and like very obsessed. knowledgeable. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, but he was um, explaining how when they make these preparations, the 500 and then the 501, which is all these different um, minerals and, as you said, different plant matter that they, and they mix have up. crystals inside. Yeah, and it's like amazing. ground quartz. Yeah. And they're buried at a certain time of year. Then in a nine few months, months later, nine months. Is that months, what it is? Nine yeah, months? Yeah. And water has to always be able to go through the horns. I don't know if you told me What? That. Water has to leak through the horns for the nine months. It has to, to keep it clean. I think. Oh my God. So there's like an ingest, what do you call the ingestation period? Is that a word? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And right? when you take it out, that's when it's really white magic because everyone's so excited. And then when they take the, the animal head out of the water, there's always an image there and it's always different. They see it. Whoa. So bizarre, right? <laughs> and then so the contents of these preparations are then put in these big vats of water to make the liquid preparation, right? Yes, yes. And they'll actually vortex the water again like it would be in nature. Yeah. Isn't it? Do they do it 30 minutes one direction, 30 minutes the other direction, I think he said? Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting, but... If you think about how water moves in nature, it never just sits there. If it does, the water goes stagnant and essentially energetically and dies, up. right? Yeah. It dries up. So yeah. it's really fascinating. He was saying that then they'll they'll go around with those little pesticide backpacks, but instead of pesticides, you have this amazing, you know, cosmic juice that they've been, you know, you incubating know what, all these months and they spray that. And you know what's so beautiful about biodynamic is before spraying your place, you have to spray the neighbors all around. So you have to give before receiving. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Karmically or yeah, is there like a... karmically, oh, I guess. Oh, interesting. So you're supposed to spray all around and then you spray your own land. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So when I'm eating the food here and anyone that's a regular listener knows I'm not really a foodie. I don't really get food. It's like, whatever, just give me some hamburger. I'm done. Like, I just want to get full and move on with life. Uh, but the food here is so goddamn good. I'm like, every meal I'm freaking out. And I think that's because it's, there's a couple things, but the biodynamic, the great culinary, you know, skills and recipes of the staff. But I think there's really something to eating like very locally and very fresh. So the food that I'm eating here is grown right down the road or in the case of the fish is caught locally in the, in the and sea. And the meat comes from our ranch. And so we never use antibiotics. Uh, the babies stay with their mothers as long as they need the milk. I mean, we really try and do This the, is at the Hacienda. Yes, yeah, this is the Hacienda. The other, so you'll see the whole process, but we really cool. try and make it the most, you know, human, <laughs> humanly possible for them. 
Right. Yeah. So they have really good lives. And you have to go and see the pig style. I'm so proud of the house. I mean, they live at the Ritz, those guys. Really? So, yeah. Up at the Hacienda? Oh, it's beautiful. Now we did beautiful bamboo. I mean, like a Balinese house. Okay. Oh, wow. Then they each have their area and then they have a green grass and they have the river going at the end so they can go and roll in the water, be clean, go in the grass, go back into their little house. <laughs> and so the bacon that I've been eating for breakfast comes it's from very the happy Hacienda. Bacon. Yeah. It's very delicious. <laughs> delicious too, yeah, yes. I have to say. Yes. And I used to be a vegetarian, as we were talking about earlier, and I really struggled with the sort of morality of that. And it's too long of a conversation to explain how I overcame it. But have you ever in your life um, experimented with being plant-based or you know vegan, vegetarian? Have you, have you wrestled have it all? I have not long enough, but I really enjoyed it. If I lived alone or with my daughters, I, with no males around, I could probably cut off meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the males bring the meat into the house, so I go back to the meat. But uh, yeah, I love being vegetarian or vegan. I feel really well too. Yeah. And what's your view of sort of, you know, having these farms? What's your view of the cycle of life and you know, where those beautiful pigs that have this great life then become breakfast. You know, how do you view that in terms of uh, psychologically, spiritually? I can't say I really like it, but at least they've had an amazing life and we give them the gentlest death possible. Right. Well, you know, I've actually interviewed farmers, um, you know, one in particular that has a, a ranch in uh, near Shasta called Belcampo. And that's where I eat most of my meat. And I went there and kind of, I had not been a vegetarian for a while, but I really wanted to see where my meat came from and to see if I could really, you know, soul search a bit and see if I was down with, you know, I went to the slaughterhouse and the whole thing. Right. And um, it, it was very interesting looking at, it wasn't biodynamic, but definitely organic and all these rotating crops and rotating all the animals and sort of just yeah, we always do that. having the observation that um, in nature, whether it's on a, you know, in a contained area like a farm or not, everything's eating everything all the time. Yes. It's kind of just the way, That's true. You know, just the way nature is. And if I keel over, and we walk out of this damn office right now and you just left me there, I'm going to be eaten by something and then something's going to eat it. Something's going to eat it and it and it, you know, and it was the, one of the ways that I managed to sort of um, find peace with that circular aspect of life. Because I really had a hard time with it for a while. So I met a Buddhist monk and he was very amusing because he kept on saying, you can have a bit of meat, they all eat meat. They can't kill the animal, but they can eat it. But what was interesting, he said, you shouldn't eat shrimp because to have a proper meal of shrimp, you've got like about 10 shrimps. So you've got 10 karmas with 10 shrimp. Oh, no way. <laughs> I just had about 10 shrimp for lunch down on your beach. It was amazing. No. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Buddhists, um, I'd like to get into a little bit more of your... Your spirituality, I sense that about you when we met at Rhythmia, you know, yeah, we're in this car crash and you seem pretty chill about it. Sure, maybe you were in shock, but you do have a, a light in your eye that indicates to me that you're familiar with the realms other than the corporal ones. And so um, I noticed that at the beautiful yoga studio, that there's a Buddhist a uh, little, what is it called? A stu stupa? A stupa. A stupa. Yeah, yeah, a little stupa there. And you said, oh yeah, we have this Buddhist monk who comes here. Tell me a little bit about that and the influence that it's had on the property or your he life. He started coming five years ago, I think. And uh, first we started heating the land. 
and uh, going everywhere to the river to to all different areas on the property and then um, he thought a stupa would be very good just to canonize all the energy on the property and actually since he's built it and finished it the energy is extraordinary i mean it's changed is i mean it was never bad but yeah. it's just i don't know what it's done but it's really changed something here for for the better that's great yeah it also looks beautiful yeah and in terms of your own pursuit because you seem like someone who's seeking truth and you know harmony in your life what are some things that have been useful to you in terms of your own happiness and well-being and finding meaning and purpose uh when people ask me what my addictions are i was always put heaters <laughs> I know the feeling. I'm a heater sucker. Yeah. <laughs> You're a heater. I'm yours. So anyhow, I just love going and and trying new therapies and new and new and new heating or old heating techniques that I didn't know about and yeah. What are some of the things you've tried that have been most impactful, would you say? Um I've done so many, but they they don't really have a name because these people just come to you and do their own their own technique, but just in Ibiza, I was there this Jedi and I probably had two, three sessions a day in different areas <laughs> of the island. I was so excited. <laughs> so um, I'm ashamed. I can't really say the name of the technique, yeah. but it was very interesting. Yeah. And then All what, of them actually. And then what about your exploration into psychedelics? Other than Rhythmia, how much has that had an impact on you? Um. Well, tell you the truth, I've only taken plant medicine four or five times. Oh, I see. But uh, it did change a lot. I find I find the, the the result extraordinary of the changes it helps you go through. And what were your takeaways uh, after the rhythmic experience? For example, did you see in <laughs> I what ways? Sleep for three months. <laughs> I was in pain. <laughs> no, aside from that. <laughs> no, no. It really that time was to follow my intuition, and I had so many examples pop up. Like, why did I did not do that? Why did I do this? And when I knew in me that what I you know what I was supposed to do. So in that way, I'm very grateful to it. So honoring that inner authority, that yes. intuition. Yes. Yeah. Except for some stop it, starting smoking again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I can tell people that was your pack of cigarettes I was referencing earlier. Yes, sadly, no, yes. It's, no, it's funny. I think you're the first guest that I've ever interviewed that's smoking the cigarette and it kind of makes me want one again. It's the best. It's the best. Well, that's this podcast is about keeping it real too, which is great. So yeah. I wish we could hear like, you know, there's someone, oh, I know what my favorite spiritual teacher, David Hawkins, uh, he was, uh, he was, Anyway, amazing guy. He was out of Sedona toward the end of his life, but on some of his recordings, he did he did like those Nightingale, what is it, Nightingale Nightingale Conan? I think they're called like these audio books, you know. And he did a lot of live lectures, and I've listened to a lot of those. And then I get a hold of these ones that recorded in the studio. And he says, "Well, you know, the grace of God is the spiritual power of the da da da." And you hear. And I was like, fucking cool, man. I like this guy even more. He's a smoker. Then after he died, I found out he smoked like three packs of cigarettes. He lived into his late 80s. And he's like, you know, this spiritual teacher who just enjoyed smoking cigarettes. I thought that was so cool. Oh, one of the guys I met who I thought was amazing was Bobby Klein. Have you met have no. you heard of him? Bobby Klein, he does the I Ching every Sunday. And he has this amazing really? center in Tulum and in New York. Ah. And he does sessions one-on-one. -on -one. Very interesting. Oh, man. really? Yes. Oh, cool. The I Ching. Is that I where Ching. they toss the cards or something? It's the white little Chinese. Ah, I'll send yeah, you yeah. his link. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. You know, uh, 
you know, you living in Ojai, I think is interesting. And when did you move there and why? What, what attracted you to that place? I moved there four years ago for scooting. And I just love the idea that it was a small village, little town where the kids could still have normal lives and didn't need 10 phones on them and trackers to know where they were. Right. And uh, it's all farmland and it's just wonderful up there. And what about your kids here? Uh, how did the school here come to be? Was that, did it that have started, something to do with having your kids here? Uh, it started, God, when did it stop? Just before the first hurricane, 2011. Uh, we had it ready Five days, five days before this huge hurricane it opened, and they just like, <laughs> no way. It shaved the yes, it was very sad. But anyhow, the school was an incredible adventure. We were nine friends or six friends who'd never had an exam. We were total renegades. We all hated all anything to do with authority and <laughs> education, and we all wanted to create our dream school for our kids. The, the school we would have liked to have had. So for eight months, we watched and read every book, every documentary on all the different systems. And we made our mishmash at the time. Really? And actually it opened with seven kids. It was crazy. Each on a different, because they're all different nationality. Each was, you know, English, French, Spanish, Italian. It was nuts. And then we brought it down to English, French, and Spanish, obviously. And uh, and it's continued and since. And who does the, the school serve now and how many kids are here? Uh, right now, I think there are 25 of them. And uh, local kids, people who work for us have their children there. And also foreigners, expats who are in the area. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, really that's nice. it, it really, you know, it does, you get the sense here that it's very um, sort of self-supporting, self-sustained thing. When I found out about the school and there's an airstrip for a plane, I was like, this is like its own little country. You really could <laughs> just is. kind of like shut the gates and be like, we're chilling <laughs> here, guys. If the shit hits the fan and there's Armageddon, as long as your loved ones are around, you can kind of just like, eh. We're done. I remember this badge, Frank Sinatra, which, which said, uh, it's, Frank's, it's Frank's world. We just live in it. And I gave one to my dad. It's Jimmy's world. We just live in oh, it. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But I, we opened the school after, his, after he passed. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's great. And so were your kids all homeschooled apart from you getting them my in school? My two and... eldest were homeschooled. Oh, interesting. Here. And what was that like? Was that... I, I think my younger two probably had more fun in the school here than being homeschooled at the time. Yeah, because there weren't that any, there weren't that many kids around. Right. Yet, so, and something you guys are uh, putting some effort into now is really expanding into the health and wellness space a little bit. Because obviously, once one is here, this is the epitome of health and wellness. You've got yoga and everything we just described. It's about as natural of an environment as one could hope for. Um, what plans do you have for the future of, you know... Having- well, my dream is to really bring the property into wellness and health now. And I mean, obviously, if we have uh, people want to come and stay and have fun, fantastic. But if they also want to come and really learn how to heal, go to the vegetable garden, um, there's so many different things they can do here. Even if they want to go and learn how to do the essential oils in the hacienda, we make them ourselves. And... Um, so there's a lots of ways that people can come and heal and do different things. And have you had experiences here where um, you have speakers come in or you've had a we retreat or anything like that? We did in the past on the Soda Runa and the indigenous, oh, cool. on the importance of the Soda Runa with Daniel Pinchbeck and Four Arrows, who's an amazing neighbor. And so don't you have a legendary uh, New Year's party here? 
Yes, we do. We do now. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. They were pretty wild. Now I guess I'm come. I'm calmed down a bit. <laughs> so it's up to my daughters. It's up to the kids to make them right. legendary. Right. <laughs> What's the strangest? You've had obviously like a zillion celebrities stay here, and you don't have to name names on who requested what, but. As from the hotel aspect, what's like some of the craziest requests you've had from people that want some, you know, outlandish service? Yoga at 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I think my class was at nine and I was like, can we make it 930? <laughs> no, I also think once uh, this person came who wanted to organize her wedding here. And it was very funny because we were on the beach with the wedding planner and Sunny she says, but about if we can cover all the sea with a plexiglass and we can dance on it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Uh... And the sand, because, you know, all the guests had to be in high heels, you know, so oh, we all had a little chuckle God. in the back, but that didn't happen. <laughs> Maybe lacking a fundamental understanding of physics, but yes. great idea. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. When I when I arrived here I got the sense like, man, if walls could talk, you know. You oh, that's just, for sure. You just imagine some of the <laughs> some of the interesting things that have transpired here. Yes. And so, what's next on on your journey as we as we come to a close here? You know, I'm I'm I, I find interesting something interesting about you is um I'm just going to make an assumption here based on knowing that your dad managed to amass some cash in his lifetime. You probably don't really have to work anymore. You could just kind of hang out. But yet yeah. you're really involved in the property here. You're really involved in impact and helping the local communities, the environment. You know, why don't you just go sit on the beach and be a lazy ass? Like what motivates you to now contribute and do the work that you're doing? The only thing probably is if I could piss off and travel for months on end, but I have kids, I have a family, so I can't do that. <laughs> That's an but... honest answer. I was expecting like, well, Luke, I'm just wise and so giving and... No, but also, but you know what? Everything I would, all the experiences and the different things I would see on these trips, I would bring back here to make the property even better. So, anyways, all my life is—I mean, yeah—I live and breathe this place. I mean, I wake up thinking of it, go to sleep thinking of it. I mean, there's so many different projects and layers and excitement, you know, and creativity going on. So it's never ending, really. And this is so. This is where you derive your passion, and also absolutely a way that you can give back and help people have absolutely, and also maintain my father's legacy. Really, yeah, right. Yeah. What do you think your dad would say now if he could see what you what you've done here? I think he'd be really happy and just give me a little kick in the ass, going, "Hey, get more clients in there." <laughs> <laughs> right. What's this empty cabana? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> you've got three empty villas. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> we need to strategize. Yes. Well, that must feel really good, you know, to, to kind of have a family legacy and, and to be able to carry on something and actually, you and know, also, carry the And also, I really torch. want to be able to pass it on to my kids and not as a white elephant. Right. You know? Right. How yeah. do your kids... I mean, I, I mean... I know one of my kids will take over. Think so? Yeah, I know which one it is. You I do? won't say it okay. now, but I, okay. I think I know which one it is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered that, you know, if you, ha if you do have a family where there's a bit of a legacy and you, you procreate and then... You know what happens when your kids grow up and they're all like, eh, we don't care about the shoe factory or whatever you've built. You know what I mean? It's like, like that sucks. Then it has to be sold off, you yeah, know, to yeah, some yeah, yeah. highest bidder. And it's like, you lose that. Now here, what's great is that they all four have very different interests and they all four bring their interests here to the property. So Leia wants to do an artist in residence. Gaia does animation. So she wants to be able to, you know, have a little studio. And uh, 
Leah also is a stylist, so she helps take care of all the photo shoots. And um, Sienna's been in charge of the stable since she's eight. Really? Since she's eight, she's amazing. And, wow. Uh, and Giacomo, I don't know yet. Right now, he's obsessed with sports, but hopefully yeah. something. Well, will I saw an amazing soccer field, probably the nicest soccer field I've ever seen in the, in the country of Mexico. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah. no offense, but they're kind of dirt with some rocks and stuff. You know, I was like, holy shit, that's a soccer <laughs> and a field. Of trash. <laughs> yeah, it actually has grass on it. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah and all the different teams, you know, it's the plumbers who play against the electricians, oh, no against the guards, against the farmers. So it's quite fun. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, I saw. Leah, who listener, she was the one that was in the car accident with us. And um, she's running around here doing a photo shoot and she's the stylist. And I was yes. like, oh, I did that for years. <laughs> I remember that. You've got the shoes in one hand and the dress <laughs> under your arm and you know, you're trying not to drag it in the mud and so <laughs> The whole thing. I was like, oh, I remember that hustle. And she's still, you know, in the phase and God bless her. I hope the phase lasts forever if that's her will. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. The hustle of the creativity of producing shoots and things like that. It was really fun to see her really enjoying that. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. I know they all are very attached to, to this place, which is great. Oh, how could they not be? Uh, they would have to, you'd have to really get their head examined if they weren't honest. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, of course there is that thing though. Even if your parents do the coolest thing ever. They're, yeah, it, they're, they're your parents. <laughs> yeah, it's right. You're still like, eh. I yeah. can remember now looking back on things my dad tried to share with me, you know, hunting trips and fishing trips. And I was like, I want to ride my skateboard and listen to Zeppelin. This sucks. Hmm. You know, and now I'm like, God, I would love to go on a trip like that with my dad, you know, and he's kind of chilled out a bit. So that's really great that your kids are on board. Ah, there goes another. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the French in me. <laughs> I love it. Well, that, you know, that's funny. Something interesting, actually, when I met you and Leia at Rhythmia, I, and I couldn't quite place your accent. And I think she has more, what sounds like more of a British accent. I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from Mexico. And then you had kind of a French accent. Where are you from? I'm from the UK. I was like, what? You guys are confusing. I was like, I can't make any sense of any of you. Now it's all coming together. That's why I call my eldest Gaia. Oh. Goddess of the earth. That's great. Well, listen, uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. You know, when I find interesting people around the world, it just brings me so much joy to share their life experience and wisdom with the listeners. And uh, I just, you know, I'm just tickled pink that I get to do what I do. So thank you for taking the time to contribute. And thank you for the work you're doing here. It's so cool. I think that the idea of ecotourism is kind of a buzzword and I'm glad that it's a trend, but I've never been anywhere that's actually, that epitomizes that, like this particular location. It's just absolutely incredible from top to bottom. So thank thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And I've learned a lot from you, as I'm sure I'll continue to over the next couple of days here. <laughs> Who have been three teachers or teachings that, that have influenced you and your, your life and your work that people might be able to go look up and also learn from? Well, my uncle, Edward Goldsmith, he wrote uh, many books on ecology. And the last one was, I think, 2,000 Days to Save the Planet, something like that. Really? And he died 10 years ago, so I think we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I always used to tell him you should sell your magazine with a cord, a rope. And he was like, why? Because you can hang yourself after reading it. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was always such intense news. Oh, and my then, God. Uh, I'm sorry, it's sounding very boring, but my dad, he wrote an extraordinary book called The Trap. 
And what What's that about? It's about worldviews and economy and ecology and... It's just extraordinary. It's a very short book. And he wrote it in 1990 and everything which is in there, what he predicted is where we are today. Really? So it's pretty incredible. I had no idea that he, that he wrote that. I'm yeah, going to have to check that out. Yeah, they were both called Cassandra, Teddy and my father. Really? For predicting. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. And then, uh, I mean, there's so many books I've loved. Um I mean, you know, the teachings of the Dalai Lama aren't bad. <laughs> right? Yes. That's great. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for the recommendations. Thank and, you. And uh, Jane Goodall, obviously, my great hero. <laughs> right. That's yes. one thing uh, that I, the only animal I think that I haven't seen here and I don't think exists is uh, there's no monkeys here. No. Which is odd. But you've got, a te, you've got uh, tejones, which are called coati mondis. And coatis look like uh, monkeys, kind of. They're cuter. Really? Yeah, they look more like uh, um, skunks, but pretty, you know, pretty skunks. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope I see one of yeah, those. Yeah, you'll see those. What I hope I don't see is the rattlesnakes. This is so weird. I didn't know. You that... have those in Ohio. You don't have Yeah, them. yeah, I know. You don't have rattlesnakes. But yeah, when we... We have boas. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I thought when we were riding horses today, I could have sworn our guide was like, there's rattlesnakes out in that grass. And You're thought, right. There is a rattlesnake. I remember riding, there was a rattlesnake. I thought, You're wow, right. I didn't know <laughs> they existed in, <laughs> in tropical places. Well, yeah, that's yeah. good. I'm glad you verified because he could yeah, just yeah, be like, yeah. oh, I'm going to scare the gringos. You know, here we go. <laughs> Watch out for the rattlesnakes. <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right. If you guys want to learn about this incredible property or even come here, you can find it at quishmala.com. That's C-U-I-X-M-A-L-A, quishmala, which means, as I said, the soul's resting place. And it truly is. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much. That was fun. Okay, gracias por escuchar nuestro podcast, mi amigos. Much appreciated that you lent us your ears for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to catch us next Tuesday with Dr. Mark Atkinson, where we talk about psychological fitness. And finally, do yourself and me and everyone a favor and visit lukestory.com forward slash store, where you will find not only our sponsors, Blue Blocks, Own to Wellness, and Beekeepers Naturals, but about 110 other great brands that are going to support you, your health, your happiness, longevity, etc. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. And I'd like to take a moment to personally thank Alix and Michaela and Davis and the whole team, many of which I'm probably forgetting at both properties, Cuixmala and Hacienda de San Antonio. Truly magical experience. And I'm not exaggerating to go down and just see some businesses that are really doing things in a very conscious way. And not only in a conscious way, but just artistically, aesthetically, just the whole vibe of that trip was absolutely incredible. And it had been a long time since I visited Mexico and um, was sort of, I don't know, you know, witnessing the, the country of Mexico, uh, having spent a lot of time there throughout my life many years ago. That's kind of dangerous. And I think I'm thinking about more Tijuana. And I forget when you get down further into Mexico, um, the cartels aren't everywhere. And it's actually a really lovely place still, which was a relief to find. And um, I've probably never felt so safe and protected in my whole life, um, despite the existence of cougars and alligators and all sorts of crazy ass creatures on these properties. But uh, no, seriously, it was a fantastic trip. And I encourage anyone that has an opportunity 
to get down to either one of these properties. I mean, it's just, there's no way to describe it. You just have to go. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down there again. Um, you know, spoiler alert, but we, we are talking about uh, the possibility of doing some events or something in that capacity uh, down south there in the future. So stay tuned for that. I'm really looking forward to sharing these properties with other people and I don't know, finding a way to get down there more myself and see what we can do. So stay tuned for any developments on that. And uh, also, I just want to encourage everyone listening to support businesses that are really doing things in a conscious way ecologically. Now, I don't talk about a lot of activism on the show because it's not really my journey. There's a lot of great people out there doing great work. Uh, I'm not, you know, uh, classically speaking, involved in environmentalism and such. Um, This show and what my life is about is about, um, you know, individual enlightenment and evolution. And as that pertains to endeavors that we each involve ourselves in in the world, uh, I think they're going to automatically and inherently be done consciously uh, while serving the interest of everyone involved. And that means everyone involved on the whole planet. So while I'm not uh, directly an activist myself per se, I do love to give props and attention and support to organizations, companies, brands that are doing things in a way that um, is based on service and based on serving not only the planet, but all of its inhabitants. And uh, these properties and Aleeks and her team are no exception. So um, I look forward to doing more of these travel shows. Uh, I want to support anyone out there who has a company, property, or anything that's um, being supportive and conscious in this way. So super fun experience. Really amazing to be able to record a lot more of my podcast in different locations. I love to travel. It's sort of a... A gonzo journalism approach to podcasting, which I'm really enjoying. It's so much more fun than sitting in the studio in my house like I am right now recording this, speaking into a microphone, into a computer. Uh, it's, you know, it's a living, but it's uh, it's quite drab in contrast to some of the amazing experiences I get to have when I travel with my little case of microphones and meet interesting people in interesting places and uh, have the opportunity for which I'm ever grateful to share these conversations and in some cases, different locations with you, the listener. So it's with um, deep gratitude and appreciation that I close this show and I look forward to joining you again on Tuesday with Dr. Mark Atkinson. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.